Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And now that the three of us have successfully reconnected all our broken synaptic nerve endings and massaged our collective brains after John's debilitating movie marathon down in Austin, Texas last week, we are back with an episode that will surely convince any remaining members of my extended family that may still be listening that perhaps you shouldn't recommend your little nephew's podcast to the lady who lives down the street. But one thing is for sure, and I don't know which of you guys said this turn of phrase last week, but it's been repeating in my head ever since I got home, dictator exploitation. <laughs> dictator exploitation. It's like sent me down this wild path that I feel like has culminated into something pretty unexpected. We're well past dictator exploitation for this episode, and we have now entered the realm of god emperor exploitation. Which is why this week we will be discussing Tinto Brass's notorious 1979 epic Caligula. They spoke of it first in whispers, then it took the media by storm. I have existed from the morning of the world, and I shall exist until the last star falls from the heavens. Although I have taken the form of Caius Caligula, I am a god. Bob Guccione and Penthouse Films International present Caligula. You amateur. Amateur? No treachery could equal his evil. No evils was more treacherous. He's mad! Caligula, the emperor who devoured Rome. Teresa Ann Savoy, Helen Mirren, Peter O'Toole, John Gielgud. No rumor can match the reality. Caligula, rated R. Much like the film Caligula, I got a, I got a feeling that this episode is going to be a sprawling, epic mess, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much to discuss. And before we get lost in a discussion on like the history of Penthouse the chaotic production of the film and all the controversies and obscenity lawsuits that kind of came out of it around the world. I have a, a question I want to ask you guys, but a quick precursor to that question. Uh, last week, after we recorded our episode, I was on a little motorcycle trip with my dad, and we were staying with my aunt and uncle in Florida, all the while I was editing our episode and putting it together. And naturally, my aunt and uncle were curious, like, hey, what are you, what are you doing? You know, how come you're not drinking with us? And I was headphones on, you know, putting shit together. And I was telling them about the show and what we do. And they were very curious. And they were, like, you know, being very polite and supportive. And I was telling them about Faces of Death and uh, the Untold Story and Candy Snatchers. And, but then when I mentioned that we were going to be doing Caligula next everyone kind of lit up and everyone was instantly like, Oh, I know that one. I remember that. And they had like a story to tell me about like either claiming to have seen it or having actually seen it hard to tell. It's one of those kinds of movies. And okay. I'll shut up. My question to you guys is, is why is this film so uniquely popular? I mean, obviously it's depictions of sex and violence are hardly unique, but what is it about Caligula that gave such strong purchase on the cultural imagination? 
I don't know if I think it is uniquely popular, if only because of the notoriety caused earlier in the decade by Last Tango on Paris and Deep Throat. And so if you think about Last Tango in Paris as starting as like kicking off this like wave of 70s movies that dealt with transgressive sexuality, but also the beginning of the golden age of porn, because that decade pretty much is the 70s, Caligula sort of ends it. So I think people like, you know, regular ass people like your parents and your aunt and your uncle were going to see these movies because I think it was really the only couple years where you could actually see movies with hardcore sex in a regular movie theater, depending on where you lived, of course. Is this, so is this like the end of porno chic? I'd imagine this came out in like 79 or 80. Yeah. And so with that, and then I think the rise of video, I guess that was sort of like the, the, the two ends that kind of stabbed the whole, let's go to the porno theater thing to death. The heart of my question is like, why is it that, I mean, I don't think my parents have seen Last Tango in Paris. I mean, they probably know about Deep Throat. Everyone knows about Deep Throat. But Caligula is one that like I kind of heard about my whole life. And I hadn't seen it until just a few days ago. And it was one that I had so many different ideas of because what it was. And everyone, every once in a while, someone would explain a, a scene from the film to me. And then I would hear another scene from the next time someone told me about, about it. And every single time I heard a different insane fucking thing that it, it led me to think like, okay, you guys are making this shit up. Like there's no way this movie has all of this gnarly, unspeakable depravity and and you've seen it and everyone's seen it. Like it seems like that's the kind of shit like like Faces of Death or or The Untold Story, like other movies that we've discussed, there are movies that you kind of got to dig a little bit to to find. I mean, I always thought Face of Death was really popular, but it seems like it's not really a household name. No, I think it was among teenagers in the 90s because it it was this like big notorious thing and I feel like that's the same kind of situation with Caligula where because you know, you grew up with parents of a certain age, they probably weren't old enough to see Deep Throat. Yeah. I think a bigger part of it is Caligula has really big name actors with all of these accolades and awards for their different performances. And it's the only mainstream film directed or not directed by, but where the production was sort of guided and directed and funded by a porn magazine and penthouse actually funded a bunch of movies like Chinatown they they gave financial support on but Bob Guccione who was the head of Penthouse at the time wanted to make his own movie and so I think also part of the notoriety is what happened with the production like it just was such a shit show where it was like first it was taken away from the screenwriter and then it was taken away from the director and then it was recut and reshot, and it it's just yeah. a mess. And, uh, honestly, and in watching it, you can see all of that. Like it feels like a movie that doesn't have a a point, or or not necessarily doesn't have a point, but there's no like obvious 
reason for its existence other than as a display of vulgar excess, which is the kind of thing that I feel like Tinto Brass wouldn't take part in, or even like Helen Mirren or a lot of these actors, or fucking Gore Vidal, who wrote the screenplay, apparently, or wrote a screenplay that it was based on. It, it is just so vile and contemptible that it could only have been made by 900 people with different ideas, all vying for something. That's what I kind of really like about the movie is, I mean, clearly you have movies, you know, like a Hitchcock movie where you have this single visionary working on it. But sometimes you get these movies where, yeah, it goes through a bunch of hands and it's just this weird soup. And most of the time that's like the recipe for disaster. But since this movie is just about this like fucking endless carnival of debauchery i think it makes it work (laughs) yeah (laughs) it also i think is totally a product of its time in the sense that you know it comes at the end of the 70s Uh, you could probably do some crazy like book or article talking about the sort of death of excess of the late 70s like the death of disco era Because it has that same sense of, you know, these giant drug-fueled parties that turn into orgies. and But now the summer of love is over and is long gone. And now we turn into the 80s where it's just like all crime and serial killers and AIDS. And I think Caligula captures that sense of like shift into nihilism super well. Yeah, this is... I mean, one of the most nihilistic movies I've ever seen. I think the, the the moment in the film when I realized that it had its sunk, it like sunk its teeth into me, it sunk its claws into me. The moment I realized this was towards the end, like in the third chunk of it. It's a very long film, but in like the last like half hour or so, there's like this big orgy going on, and there's lots of unsimulated sex, and I'm watching this blowjob scene, and it's making my skin crawl. Like, I'm actually, I'm feeling what to me is fear. And I'm while watching a blowjob. And the fact that I'm feeling fucking scared while watching someone get their dick sucked, it's it's a testament to the fact that this movie, it goes through, like, it shows you so many depraved acts of violence that are so grand in their scope that when there is a sexual act that should be either erotic or or should at least be you know uh, tantalizing in some way it's it's freaking me out because of everything that's surrounding it in this it's really really haunting yeah those cut-in scenes once you've seen the movie a couple times or once you know what you're looking for those cut-in scenes are so fucking obnoxious and you know I say this as a person who supports hardcore sex in movies and thinks that hardcore movies should be talked about alongside other films like mainstream films but I hate the hardcore scenes here because they don't add anything to the movie they don't involve any of the actual cast there so basically the trick is anytime you spot a penthouse pet like a woman who looks like she's a model in a porn magazine that's when you know that Guccione went back in and did inserts. 
And Tinto Brass, who is known for his sexually explicit movies, I mean, he made Salon Kitty, which I don't think you've seen yet. No, I can't wait to see Salon Kitty. John, have you seen Salon Kitty? Yes, yes. That's the only other Tinto Brass movie I've seen. Well, we will have to talk about that in a future episode, but it's similarly excessive. It's a Nazi exploitation film that also has, it's set in a brothel and in a, inspired by a real life brothel, much like Caligula has its, you know, historical roots. And it does have these really excessive scenes that I think like Caligula feel anti-erotic or unerotic and they're meant to be that way. Because I think if Caligula could have been the film Tinto Brass wanted, like Salon Kitty, they would both be these sort of nihilistic critiques of power. But because you have this asshole producer who thinks he knows how to make an erotic spectacle film coming back in and like inserting these scenes... He inserts them at like the worst moments in the plot when yeah. when they like it's, it's interrupt the action. It's, it's yeah, there, there's characters having a very serious conversation that's moving the plot. Helen Mirren and Malcolm McDowell, and who's the lady that plays his sister? Teresa Ann Savoy, who was sort of the queen of sexual exploit excess movies at this time because she's also in Salon Kitty. And Private Vice's Public Virtues, which is another one that is just so over the top. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where they're having a conversation together, and they're also having a little three-way. And all the while, they keep cutting to this random... Lesbian scene. Lesbian yeah. scene with two penthouse pets. All right, I'm, I'm curious. So Bob Guccione is this... I, I was reading about him a little bit earlier today. He, he was just this basically a pornographer in like the 40s in he was an american working in england i think and started penthouse doing that like famous soft focus technique where how do you how would you describe the soft focus of of penthouse i mean my preferred soft focus is like jean rollin films which can be similarly pornographic but the penthouse soft focus, it's, I think, meant to be classy, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but he amassed this incredible fortune, kind of like in a Donald Trumpian way, where he was doing all these fucking stupid deals and losing all this money. And he, and he, but he was also like his, his penthouse empire was growing and he was buying all this insane property, like buying like villas and fucking Croatia and shit and just like it just had a massive amount of money to throw around and this Caligula he was throwing around like 17 to 20 million dollars apparently he offered Orson Welles a million dollars to play Tiberius could you imagine Orson which would have been so I wish we could have gotten that apparently Orson Welles morally objected to the role which like I wasn't aware he had morals yeah it's gastronómicos restaurantes de París donde comía Orson Welles and we discovered a restaurant and then he was eaten six bottles of wine he was eaten and then I, I asked him to the chef, what is the best wine he wants? He said, that. Let's send you a bottle. And then he took the bottle and he wanted to speak with me. And then we, I speak with all the respect because it was 
was for me was an idol. Yeah, I say, I don't want to do it. I say, I don't want any more. I say, no, me. I, I say to him, I will propose something. If you do the picture, even if we pay what you want as like an actor, I will hire the chef of the restaurant, and you will eat as here every day. And he say, I do it. Yeah, to, to, to repel Orson Welles with an offer of a million dollars, and I'm sure he probably threw in a giant plate of spaghetti, too. And to have the guy... Steak. You, it was definitely steak. Ste- steak, yeah, big steak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, to have, and to have him be like, no, thank you. This script is, is disgusting. And then to get, like, Helen Mirren and Peter O'Toole to agree. How did these actors say yes to this like it wasn't a secret that it was funded by penthouse so f while watching it because this before doing this this was the first time i've seen this and i assumed that yeah it was like this guy or bob guccione's passion project and he like hired art house people but no it was the other way around they were already working on it and they needed an american uh, co-financer to pay for Gore Vidal's script and that's how he got involved but it feels like huh. a pornographer's movie I mean I- at least the cut that I have I've only seen the, the one two and a half hour with all the porno in it oh yeah oh yeah that's what we watch it's the only version you got I mean I'm mean, honestly after watching that I'm curious to watch the like you know the kids glove baby version well, it's not really a baby version. So it's the director's cut is recut with the approval of Tinto Brass's estate, basically, where it's supposed to match up more closely to his original script. So I've heard different versions about how the movie got started. One version, which I think john was talking about is that gore vidal this was originally his passion project Yeah, it was gore vidal's caligula was the title but i think at the same time bob guccione also wanted to make some sort of historical excess movie because from what i've read the first person who was hired to write a script was lena vertmuller from like swept away and you know herself has made a lot of films about sexual excess but the Gore Vidal script apparently starts off with Caligula as this innocent who is corrupted which I think makes no fucking sense yeah I don't like that I like him just being born bad well like you don't you don't grow up innocent born into a Roman imperial family where everybody's fucking poisoning each other and there's all this. It is very Donald Trumpian where it's like you're born into such extreme wealth, but at the same time staying there, there's no position of security really. It's incredibly competitive. Yeah, you're you're competing against your, your family and your best friends and your lovers in ways that lead you to do such despicable things i think one of my favorite like i don't obviously this wasn't a joke and it wasn't being mined for comedy but the bits in the film that i thought were the funniest were all the poisoning jokes and like not really even jokes but like the scenes where someone's feeding someone something 
and they're like, ah, here, I'll feed it to this person. And that person eats it like some, you know, penthouse pet eats the fucking tainted mushroom. And then she keels over in the next scene. And then, like, there's one bit where Caligula, his would-be successor, um, Germanicus, or is it, is that who it is? Or It's his cousin who is tied with him to be Tiberius's successor and yeah. Tiberius plays them against each other. His name isn't Germanicus. It's like Geronicus or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but all. But he is just, and I think he's written about historically as just being this total idiot the way that Claudius was. Yeah. But the, the scene where uh, Caligula goes up to the kid and he's like smelling his breath and he can smell, <laughs> he can smell on the kid's breath antidote for the poison that he was gonna give him you know and justin it's like okay you're drinking antidote you think that i'm gonna kill you which i am i sentence you to death (laughs) (laughs) what's that antidote to what the poison you just drank up You would think that a movie like this would escalate in its insanity as it goes on, but because it opens with such fucking crazy shit, it's just a constant hum. It's this ongoing hum of... Uh, it's not a hum, it's like a clamor. No, it's a, it's someone <laughs> screaming in your ear, you know? Uh, okay, I think uh, early on in the film... I. I this is so hard to talk about because I'm a little fucking baby. But early on in the film, there's this scene where one of the like guardsmen in the Roman Imperial, you know, legion has been drinking on the job. He was caught out on a drunk and he was brought before the Emperor Tiberius just before Caligula takes the throne. And it's brutal. It's really brutal. So they pull out the guy's cock and they tie a fucking string to it they well they don't they basically tie it off and block his urethra yeah they're blocking the guy's urethra and they're and they start dumping wine down his throat and he's just drinking all this wine and then like we go on and we follow caligula having a little conversation or whatever and then like after the guy's been drinking all this fucking wine they've been shoving it down giving him like beer shotguns or whatever of wine down the throat (laughs) fucking beer bong and and then they they shove a, a sword into his gullet, and all the <laughs> wine dumps out, and it's just like holy fuck! Like you just stabbed this guy in the bladder, and, and like it's the kind of insane fucking shit that like you don't even think of existing or being imaginable, and and me being the little fucking baby that I am, I didn't even realize what was going on until after I watched the movie and I read Roger Ebert's. Mm, beautiful review of the film <laughs> and roger ebert he's so mad he's so mad and he explained to me like oh they tie up the guy's urethra and i'm like oh that's what they were doing oh my god <laughs> like it, i got shocked all over again so almost to go back to what you were saying in the very beginning how like you knew like your family knew this movie yeah I had that same backstory, and like that's one of the reasons why I never got around to this, because I thought it was going to be like Showgirls, where it was going to yeah. be like sleazy and shocking 
to my parents, but like a quiet Sunday on the farm for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so then like, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll finally watch Caligula. I've been meaning to see it forever. And when it got to that point, I was like, oh, I'm, I was wrong. This movie's fucked up and crazy. It's yeah. fucking, it's not just like sleazy. There's hardcore porn. And like, but like, I'm totally on board immediately. Like, <laughs> yeah, I bet fucking, you fucking were. I thought you <laughs> might was, be. It was fucking Ken Russell and Jamie Gillis, you know, had a baby that was a historical epic. And then to like spike the ball, like an hour in, I'm already like, wow, this is fantastic. You get this fucking death metal cover art decapitation machine scene. Oh my Yo, God. Yes. That like, insane. It was, I was like, where has this been my whole life? I, I can't believe it took you this long to see it. I mean, this was one of the movies that I saw for the first time when I was around 18 or 19. Like when I broke my solo cherry and was like, okay, now I need to see every extreme sexually transgressive movie from the 70s and i do feel like this fits in with those movies like i mentioned private vices public virtues which has one of the few few movies to have a a chicken rape scene much like pink flamingos wait someone rapes a chicken or a chicken rapes someone someone uses a chicken to penetrate someone else actually i think it might be consensual but was the chicken down? Was the chicken like, okay, let's do this? <laughs> What's this movie called? <laughs> was, Private was Vice's the, Public Virtues. Was the chicken tender? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, you fucking piece of shit. It probably was afterwards. <laughs> so, Sala was one of those movies that, like, had a, a huge reputation, insane notoriety. The movie that I was expecting is the movie that Caligula is. You know, I was expecting just this fucking onslaught from Solo, which, I mean, it's nothing to fucking sneeze at, obviously. It's pretty nasty. It's a nasty fucking movie. But I think because I went into it with this, like, gore-hound teenager head, like, oh, I'm going to watch that really gory movie that, like, I heard about in my Fangoria circle of friends, you know? This is definitely, I would say Solo is more upsetting, but this is gorier because of, like, the... The uh, wine drinking scene you mentioned and the decapitation machine, they're, they're things that sort of like happen, like they're not even really main set pieces. It's like something that just is going on in the background almost. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, what? And that <laughs> fucking, like that machine and that scene, yeah, it's fucking death metal and cool and crazy and it's like so death metal. It really is. <laughs> I, I mean, I think you fucking nailed the description on that, John. But also, it's a pretty scary scene. I mean, not to look at, but to think about. Oh yeah, just watching that one guy and you and he knows it's coming and there's nothing. He's buried, you know, neck deep. And yeah, it's yeah, like that's there, like nightmare like a, shit. A whole like bunch of people are buried in the sand with just their necks sticking out and this insane machine that almost looks like the car that ash builds in army of darkness in the end that has the spinning (laughs) rotor that's like killing all the deadites like this insane fucking wall of death is just going across the ground and just 
plucking off their stupid little heads from the ground. Yeah, it's... people are so people are buried in the ground up to their necks and yeah. the machine just rolls along decapitating them. It's... it's it also, I have to say, I feel like a more exciting version of Roman history could be taught in high school because so much of the stuff that happens in this movie happened in real life. And one of my focuses in college was on early medieval and sort of late Roman history starting around the time of the emperors. And it just, it's like mind blowing stuff. For some reason watching this, I was like, okay, this is just what some like, you know, New York city pervert, his idea of Roman history, you know, some like penthouse guy was like, okay, this is, I'm just going to fucking get nasty here. And then like listening to you all this afternoon and, and we were watching documentaries about Roman history. And I guess like, I just, I mean, I, I'm a dumb guy. I learned about the aqueducts. And then after I tried to write the word down and I couldn't spell it right, I'm like, fuck this stuff. I don't care about Roman history. And oh, holy shit, it is insane. Yeah, and I think a lot of Roman art sort of reflects some of the horrible things that were going on in the Colosseums and the stadiums. And they talk about how Caligula, although the senators fucking hated him, and of course the army came to hate him and ultimately kill him, which you see in this movie, the people really liked him because he just spent money like water and had parties all the time. And so I feel like the movie shows some of that, but the parties are these nihilistic kind of nauseating. Like it's definitely the sort of movie where you watch it and you, you just don't want to have sex afterwards. <laughs> That's one of the things I really like about the movie, too, is like, like Charles said, it's like a constant, like, hum. And nothing ever kind of sticks out where it's like, oh, no, like, you're going to see this scene or like, oh, you're going to see these people naked. It's just always so kind of blatant and matter of fact that it kind of, I feel like, gets into Caligula's mind a lot where nothing is special anymore. He has everything he could ever ask for. He, he was pretty much, you know, born with it in a way. And the fact that you just get to see millions of fuck scenes and a fucking decapitation machine, and it's still, like, not enough for him. It's almost like how you can imagine being born as a billionaire, where you just, like, yeah. take everything for granted, and the only way to feel something is to just keep going, like, further and crazier and darker. Which is what he does. Yeah, the... The reason, so this movie had a bunch of obscenity trials and it was banned, like it played in Italy for a week and a half until the board of censors were like, okay. The, the Catholic Brigade. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Catholic Brigade, the fucking no fun moms of Italy were like, you need to stop with this and you might be under, the, under arrest. We're not sure. And this also happened everywhere. It wasn't explicitly done in the U.S. Well, it was done in the U.S., but like, in like small town Ohio, when it started playing there, they were like, nope, 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 nope. This movie was just so utterly banned. And, and it's because of how fucked up it is. And I think that also led to its popularity. But the reason why I was saying all this is because this obviously had to have been the work of 
a fucking multi-millionaire billionaire sicko you know like when i was watching it i was thinking like who is this movie for or like who could it's watch for me this? and john well yeah. i know but, but i mean okay okay what i mean is like i mean obviously i ha- i liked it too but what i'm saying is that like because it's also a hardcore porn and it's like billed as an erotic film like who is it that is finding this erotic because no obviously one. we don't and we're freaks and but i think the the people who would find this erotic are sicko fucking billionaires you know like well and that's what's so interesting about the way this struggled through the development process is every all, all of the films sort of like three major creators had different ideas about what the sexual content should be like Gore Vidal wanted it to be a social satire with a lot of homosexuality like there will be more gay scenes than straight and Bob Guccione was like oh no 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 one in America wants that or anywhere which is a shame because while I disagree with how Gore Vidal wanted to open the film, I I would love to see that version of Caligula. Yeah. Because this has almost no gay scenes in it other than one, which is... There was a dude sucking a dude's dick. But I mean, between like... I got hyped when I saw that. I was like, oh shit, we got some dick sucking. (laughs) Between the major characters. I mean, there are some great scenes like Tiberius asks Caligula if he prefers nymphs or satyrs <laughs> and Caligula's like both lord <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I think Bob Guccione wanted it to be this you know straight people fuck fest uh, exercise in excess and Tinto Brass put way more of a focus on the violence than the sex and so there's just this like tug of yeah. war oh, it's it's really a hard film to watch at times it's something the beginning i feel is genius too because it starts off with like oh it's a a nice couple frolicking in the woods and then a few minutes later you find out their brother and sister and that just like fucking elevator drop is enough to be like oh i know what world i'm in right now yeah and i think even the watching the first half an hour of the movie you have to adjust it's like while you're meeting these characters and while you're figuring out what's going on with the story which is tiberius is old and sick and is going to die soon and who is going to take over possibly caligula i mean obviously he's the protagonist and if you have even heard of him you know that he was an emperor But while all that, like, traditional storytelling stuff is happening, you have to get used to the brother-sister incest and the almost constant nudity from pretty much every single character. And the random characters having sex on screen who are not part of the main action. It's wild. And there's, like, there's (laughs) one scene in, like, a banquet hall early on in the film. Everyone's eating food, and it's a very, like, long down-the-table scene. And... I think there were people fucking on the table while everyone was eating food, but like they cut away before I can, my brain can register it. And I was like, wait a second. Did I just imagine I saw two people fucking on the table or like, am I, what's going on with my head right now? (laughs) Yeah. But once again, you just get used to it and it's just like, it means nothing to you anymore. It's just part of the landscape. And it, and I feel like, that really gets you into Caligula's head where you're just like this 
is nothing's thrilling anymore. I got to go crazier and crazier again. And like that is why this is one of the most nihilistic films I've seen is because I've seen movies that are nihilistic. But the ones that actually make me feel like a nihilistic person while watching them or or I stop registering the sanctity of human life and like and suddenly like seeing such brutal acts, it's it becomes like, you know, old hat and it's it means nothing. And like when a movie can do that to my head, like even if it takes the movie fucking two hours to like sink its fucking teeth into me like that. It's doing something. And and this movie is so panned by so many critics. I mentioned Roger Ebert earlier. He walked out. I kind of want to read some of his review. <laughs> but, I mean, of, of course the movie's a fucking mess. But it's still, I think, a great piece of filmmaking yeah. that, you know, Tinto Brass, I don't think, gets the credit he deserves as a filmmaker. I mean... He started off as this like experimental art house director in the 60s. He made this giallo that people might be interested in called Deadly Sweet. That's this totally bizarre, like swinging 60s thriller. And then with things like Salon Kitty and Caligula, he transitioned into mostly erotic cinema. But he just, all of his movies are so lush and gorgeous and have these elaborate set pieces. And so even though Bob Guccione really fucked this up and turned it into a mess, I think there's so much here that is uniquely Tinto Brass that is why I think it's still a great film. Which is why I think the Ebert review that you're about to read is trash, and Ebert <laughs> should go die. Okay. Well, speaking <laughs> of trash, uh, Ebert says Caligula is sickening, utterly worthless, shameful trash. It is not the worst film I've ever seen. That makes it all the more shameful. People with talent allowed themselves to participate <laughs> in this travesty, disgusted and unspeakably depressed. I walked out of this film after two hours of its 170-minute length. This fucking pussy. You didn't see the whole fucking movie. And that was on Saturday night as a line of hundreds of people stretched down Lincoln Avenue waiting to pay $7.50 apiece to become eyewitnesses to shame. Eyewitnesses to shame. What a fucking baby. Okay, now here's the thing. The guy's not really wrong in some of this stuff, but the fact that he's fucking complaining that people want to see it like, fucking pick a different avenue of, of, of criticism here. Like, yeah, the movie is definitely a little shameful. You know, it's uh, people with talent did allow themselves to be to participate in this travesty. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, though, is that like to fucking be so shocked that people want to see it, that people are are willing to pay money and line up down the block. I mean, Listen to how you're describing it. If if I had read this fucking one paragraph, I would have jumped in the back of the line and been like, yeah, I want to see what upset this fucking <laughs> freako, you know? He really is such a baby. I I don't think I we've talked about it on this podcast yet, but I have sort of a lifelong animosity for Ebert. I, I know that he has a lot of fans and some of the things he says are accurate, but he just it's like he hates anything that I think is interesting. Well, OK, allow me to, to continue a little bit here. 
Oh, he's not done yet? Oh, you kidding me? That's paragraph one, baby. It's a it's a long <laughs> review. Nice. Well, he, he he has no right. He didn't finish it. If he finished the movie, I'll, I'll, yeah, and that's that's another you know. thing. Yeah, he he missed out on the child death at the end. So, <laughs> uh, I wanted to tell them he's talking about the people in line who are paying to watch the film. I wanted to tell them. What did I want to tell them? What I'm telling you now, that this film is not only garbage on an artistic level, but that it is also garbage on the crude and base level where it has no doubt hopes to find its audience. Caligula is not good art, it is not good cinema, and it is not good porn. I've never had... What does he know? Right? Well, uh, I mean, apparently... He, he said, "Okay, he says here. I've never had anything against eroticism in movies. There are Lies. X-rated films I've enjoyed, from the sensuous fantasies of Emmanuel to the pop comic absurdities of Russ Meyer. I assume the crowds lining up for admission to the Davis Theater were hoping for some sort of erotic experience. I doubt that they were spending fifteen dollars a couple for a lesson on the ancient histories of Rome." I hate Ebert. <laughs> so, I mean, here's the thing. Like, while I fucking, like, I totally disagree with this guy, like... He's not wrong? He's not wrong. <laughs> like, like, he's definitely a, a little fucking baby, and <laughs> I may see a little myself in him, but, I mean, to decry the fact there are decapitations, evisceration, rape, bestiality, sadomasochism, necrophilia, and he says these scenes, indeed the movie itself, reflect a curiously distant sensibility. Nobody in this film really seems to be there. Not the famous actors like Malcolm McDowell, Peter O'Toole, or John Gilgold, whose scenes have been augmented by additional porn shot later with people, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, obviously, like, what he's so offended by is that it doesn't have a point, and it's not sexy. That, like, it's just excessive. And, and Roger what's Ebert, wrong with that? <laughs> honestly, I bet that if there wasn't a line down the block waiting to see this movie, he would have given it a little bit more of a fair shake. But I think what he was offended by was the fact that people actually wanted to see it. Like, that's what fucked him up so bad. Would you think it would be worse, though? It, or would it be, like, more morally corrupt or ethically corrupt or whatever if you made the sexy Caligula movie. Like the fact that this movie is kind of like honest about how fucking nasty and bloody and evil that time was. Don't you think like, I feel like that, like it's a more honest depiction. Therefore, you know, doing like the fucking, Oh no, let's make it hot and sexy and fun. Yeah. It was actually, yeah, this wasn't the fucking yeah. Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix right, fucking right. Rome yeah, flick. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that because I think if you make the sex scenes erotic, in some way you're glorifying the situation. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which Tinto Brass, you know, we've definitely talked about leftist or left-leaning Italian directors on here before, and Tinto Brass is one in a long line of them, and I think a lot of his films, especially from this period, are all about how power is evil and corrupts. And Salon Kitty has a lot of the same themes that show up in Caligula and definitely a lot of the same excess. So what were the movies that led to Caligula? Or, or rather, 
like you, like you were saying earlier that Gore Vidal had a screenplay that there were actors that were circling this this film and different like people from around the world uh, were interested in it. Well, why? Like, what kind of made that something that was commercially viable and interested or interesting to people? I think there are a lot of potential answers to this but the biggest one or the most obvious one is probably Pasolini's Decameron or actually even Fellini's Satyricon as well so Fellini's Satyricon is 69 and Pasolini's Decameron is 71 and they're both these really erotic over-the-top spectacles that are based on you know, they have literary sources and they're these period pieces set in ancient Rome. And I think they, the two, between the two of them, really open the floodgates for a lot of the kind of exploitation ripoffs to come later in the decade. Yeah. So that's sort of, it's, it's a combination of those films and the things I mentioned earlier, like Last Tango in Paris. It just was a decade where I think more directors and more actors were interested in exploring transgressive cinema, which is why you have people like Malcolm McDowell and Helen Mirren signing on. And like they were in other films like this. Totally. So before uh, I I watched Caligula, uh, me and John both watched The Decameron. Yeah. And I loved it. The Decameron it's was wonderful. amazing. I Okay, so I had seen it and i'm putting this in quotes I, I went to a screening of it like five or six years ago in new york i think it was at the nighthawk and it was a late screening maybe like 10 p.m or 12 a.m was like a very late screening and i was going to go on a date to see it and i got stood up uh classically and i was like ah fuck it. i'm gonna go see it by myself anyway and i went there and i had a few drinks beforehand as soon as the movie started i fell asleep and i when i woke up right at the end and i was like okay i guess the movie was okay and <laughs> There's some wild stuff to sleep through. I know. And now when I finally watched it a few days ago, just before watching Caligula, wow, what a what a great and beautiful and erotic and just nice movie. Almost like the antithesis of Caligula in, in so many ways. Which sort of goes back to what I was saying before about how what's going on at the start of the decade and in like 70, 71 even 1969 to Caligula in 79 it's just like such a tonal shift and Pasolini with his trilogy of life in the early 70s which includes the Decameron he made these genuinely erotic films that are celebrations of life and humanity and art and food and, and beauty sex. and definitely sex but I think he got really frustrated because it just led to all of these films that are basically Decameron exploitation that mm. show up in the mid 70s and that lead to some of the Caligula exploitation movies that we'll talk about in a minute. But he like there was a point where so this is pretty much why he made Solo is he just felt so. I think nihilistic and disillusioned and kind of wound up disowning the Decameron a little bit, which is a shame because it's shame. so beautiful. It really is. 
it's so funny and warm and like i found myself just like every time like the, you'd get to the new character story like i was so on board to see like okay what's this guy up to yeah and there were so many moments throughout the decameron where like i thought it was about to get really bad and it turns out that it was like oh no everything's it's a fine <laughs> look at this <laughs> oh yeah, it's it takes on the structure of a very classic italian comedy like commedia dell'arte style comedy which you know pasolini was a brilliant man an avid reader and was like deeply influenced by a lot of medieval literature and i think all of that shows up in the decameron and even in his other trilogy of life movies like Canterbury Tales, John, I don't know if you've seen it, but not yet. It has our boy fully nude, which the first time Tom Baker <laughs> Tom which, Baker which the Tom first Baker. time I saw it, I didn't know that that was gonna happen no. and I was like shocked out of my mind. Like I had Did just you see Doctor it. Who's little doctor? <laughs> I can't remember if there's full frontal, but you see his whole ass. Okay, okay. Well, that's chill. That's cool. I think there's a scene where he gets like a hand job or a blow job. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's Canterbury Tales, which was totally ribald. <laughs> so, but I feel like once the late '70s hit, it becomes a different thing, and it's so weird to think that there are all of these. Caligula ripoff movies. Yeah, John, did you go down this rabbit hole at all? I, I know you were talking about some Severin box set or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Severin had just released two of the Caligula uh, knockoffs. Caligula and Mezzolini or Mezzolina. Mezzolina, that was the, yeah. Yeah, that was the Bruno Mattei one. And it it's kind of funny because it starts with two guys on a horse and the one guy just reiterates all the the shocking punchlines of Caligula. He's like, oh, remember when he had all those people decapitated? And remember, <laughs> you know, it, like, it was sort of like, you know, the, the silent the quick night, recap. deadly night too of, for Caligula? Yes, but it doesn't show anything. He just, he just like says it to this one guy who's just sitting on his horse nodding. And then I watched the Joe D'Amato one, um, Caligula, the untold story, and that had the the lead guy from Stage Fright in it. Uh, David Brandon, I think his name is. Yes, yes. And 20 minutes into it, I'm thinking, like, why are there exploitation knockoffs to Caligula? You know, like, it's the one movie that you don't need the fucking sleazy knockoff because the movie itself is... Because it already is so sleazy. Yeah. The (laughs) only thing Joe D'Amato takes up is that a horse gets a blowjob in it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he was trying to up the ante with way less of a budget, which is you know typical joe d'amato fashion but it's like the fact that there are there are like at least half a dozen of these like there's another one that i think uh bruno Mattei made called nero and papaya an orgy of power which like it's nero who was the emperor he was so after caligula it's uh, Claudius, who is Caligula's uncle, and then it's Nero, who I think is one of Caligula's brothers, of course, who famously sat around and played the fiddle while Rome burned. But like 
why do we need Roman emperor exploitation? Like, what a world. Well, obviously, we need it because this was such a fucking hit. Like, this was a movie that had people lining up down the block and Roger Ebert, you know, up in arms about. Like, this was a movie that... (laughs) I mean, this is is my theory. My theory is, is because my aunt and uncle... I mean, they're 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 very truthful people, but I feel like this is the kind of movie that like people are like, yeah, I've I've seen Caligula, sure I've seen Caligula, but that's just because they've heard about it, and and they don't want to, I don't know, it's a kind of movie that I I can imagine maybe they even put it on, like you know they they rented it or something, but it's a hundred and seventy minutes of fucking brutality and just like hardcore sex and and I can't imagine like renting that from you know your local video store in the fucking 90s and i don't just i don't think you could rent the uncut version from a video store in the 90s so they probably would have been watching a shorter softcore cut because i know that there were a bunch of versions of this Yeah, and didn't okay is this an urban legend i don't know because i never really rented from blockbuster but did blockbuster have cut films and like christian edited movies there yeah i know they did that for last tango in paris yeah okay so it's kind of like how like walmart would have the like censored version of like eminem cds yes but but here's the thing though what makes it controversial is that blockbuster never said they did so like Mm. if you go to walmart and you get the censored you know there's a tipper gore sticker on there yeah right you know (laughs) you're getting the censored one but if you But if you rent something from Blockbuster, it's censored, but they don't tell you, so you think you're getting the real deal. Which is some bullshit. Yeah, that's really... Un- I mean, the the whole thing's bullshit, but that it's is offensive. like an extra step in, in bullshit. I love how like we are so nostalgic for video stores, and we miss the good old days of like going to like our local video store, that even Blockbuster has become this... like. We miss it, oh, even though Blockbuster, you, Blockbuster was fucking terrible. They were, they were yeah. evil. I kn- I'm so thankful that we had two mom-and-pop video stores and never had a Blockbuster. Yeah, well, there there was a Blockbuster, but... You just yeah, didn't but go I mean, to like, it. The ones where we walked down to the street to... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The real deal. I wonder if your video store carried any version of Caligula. It did. Yeah, I kind of remember it, it having it. I do. No, when I was 15, they hired me to dust off every videotape. And I remember <laughs> reading the back. You were like the regular video store jizz mopper, but just for regular old dust. Yeah, they gave me they gave me $100 and free rentals for a week. It wow. was it was, I I had never been happier. Oh my it god. It was yeah, I hit like the peak then. <laughs> Your wow. life peaked at that moment. <laughs> That's well, you beautiful. should have rented Caligula then, although it would have I been know. some weird. If I had known, version. I would have. I'm. I mean, they would have let me too. They loved oh me. Oh my god! If if I had a fucking time machine, yeah, I would go back there and just walk around those fucking hallways again. Oh boy, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> oh my god! I. It's closed down now. It was a sports store for a bit, so it's empty again. And I went to pick up a pizza right by there, and I put my like head against the glass and just peered inside and, and just cried sighed. a little yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right all right that's enough of a walk down uh, yeah. memory lane uh <laughs> oh wait so some something i did want to mention earlier is you know we were talking about where did this come from and how there are these sort of 
period piece ancient Roman erotic films earlier in the 70s. But weirdly, there's Caligula exploitation before Caligula even came out. There's this movie that I haven't seen and heard is not great. Uh, it's called Caligula's Hot Nights from 1977. And I think it is just like a Decameron ripoff type of thing where it's like... Was Caligula in production and they knew there was this giant epic movie with all of these people doing stuff and they were like, okay, let's pump out Caligula's Hot Nights? I sincerely doubt it. it huh. So It, was it could have been years. though because I think Caligula was in production for a bit, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think only for a year maybe. I don't know. We'll we'll have to do some more digging and figure out why Caligula's Hot Nights was ever made. <laughs> I have existed from the morning of the world, and I shall exist until the last star falls from the night. Although I have taken the form of Caius Caligula, I am all men as I am no man, and therefore I am a god. Yeah, and, and this is a movie that I feel like there's been so much said about it and there's been lots of interviews like that was probably the best part of doing research for this was was hearing these like regular like not regular but very very good and famous actors Malcolm McDowell and the guy sounds like he was he sounds like an ex-cokehead he sounds like someone who oh yeah agreed to this because well, he's a partier at least I could say that. I don't yeah. know for sure if he was a coke. And it seemed like he was having the fucking time of his life while making this movie. Not very many members of the cast seem like they're having a good time. But he Malcolm McDowell, mm-mm, he is partying. I mean, he, he also, so he's somebody who I I love that he does this, but for a number of important films he's been involved in, like the Lindsay Anderson movies, like If and Clockwork Orange and Caligula he's recorded commentary tracks and Whoa. is like happy to talk about some of these really groundbreaking transgressive movies he was in and you get this like he talks about how he got along with Tinto Brass really well when I think people like Peter O'Toole didn't but Peter O'Toole was you know notoriously a mess and it seems to me part of the reason why all of the actors were going along with things, even when there's like clearly like this is insane shit going on. And all these like regular actors are like going along with things is because Malcolm McDowell, you know, fucking Alex from Clockwork Orange, this very serious actor, is fucking going for broke. That I, I imagine it elevates everyone else's performance and has them like, okay. We're making a real movie here, even though there's penthouse pets naked all around us. Well, so actually, not all of the naked or the majority of the naked people in those big group productions were not penthouse pets. Oh, they were Tinto they Brass's were, people? Yeah, they were Tinto Brass's people. And he talks about how he went out of his way to hire people who were who didn't look like penthouse pets who look like regular people which i think makes the film so much richer but apparently it just enraged bob guccione like he wanted everyone to be a, a porn actor or porn model and they clearly when you watch the film are not that's wild uh, the there's something about malcolm mcdowell's mix of like 
total maniacal psychopath and boyish charm yeah that just wins me over every single time yeah it's it's truly it's his bread and butter it, that role and that that style of acting that i think that he was probably pigeonholed because he was just so darn good at it well i think he chose a lot of those roles intentionally but it's also interesting to see how his career changed because once he kind of aged out of that boyish charm, he wasn't really cast in those roles anymore. And I think somebody like Terrence Stamp had a similar issue because he's in, you know, The Collector and Toby Dammit and Pasolini's Teorema, where he doesn't quite play the charming psychopath, but he plays this like beautiful, innocent looking disturbed young man so i feel like their careers have some really interesting parallels have you guys did, did either of you read about uh the uh the night that malcolm mcdowell was like celebrating some like soccer game like his like fucking favorite football team won and he like <laughs> yeah and he took he took a bunch of members of the production like out to this big fancy dinner super expensive super fancy and then when the bill comes, he's like, oh, uh, my wallet's gone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> fucking classic, like, whoopsie daisy, you know. And he's like taking out like the the choreographer and like, you know, the the, you know, production assistants and shit. And and they obviously assumed he was going to pay because he's taking them out. His team won. He's fucking Malcolm McDowell, the guy from A Clockwork Orange. And apparently the fucking. The choreographer, the film's choreographer, pays for the whole meal. And Malcolm, was, Malcolm Dallas like, I promise you, I'll get you back. I'll get you tomorrow. Don't you worry. I'm Malcolm McDowell. And all the while, of course, he's like, you know, sniffing, you know, sweating bullets. And his fucking got white shit caked around his nose. And then all throughout, like, the next, for the rest of the production, he was like, okay, here. I'll give you uh, this like beautiful pendant and it, it'll have your name on it. And he gives it to her and like her name's fucking spelled wrong. And he's like, <laughs> okay, here, here, I'll give you the, the, the signet Caligula ring from the production of the movie. And she's like, that's not yours. That's the fucking film production. <laughs> and like fucking dickhead never paid her. <laughs> you crack and to get high. That's what you say you love But it's really insane You could die What are you thinking of? Cause nobody's needing that crack and cocaine There's terrible trouble behind Speaking of how nihilistic this movie is, have you guys noticed the Carl Panzram quote in it? Yes, I didn't know if that was intentional or not, but I assume that it has to be yeah it's too it's too like close and on the nose for it not to be what, what are you guys talking about there's a scene i have existed since the beginning of the world are you talking no, about no, that one the, um... if only all rome had just one neck i wish rome had one neck oh yeah yeah that so carl yeah. do you know who carl panzeram is no Carl Panzram is this like notorious serial killer from like the 10s and 20s and 30s yeah. who 
claims to have raped the most number of people. Like, he claims to be the most prolific serial rapist, or he did at the time, and has all of these truly wild quotes. And one of them is like, I wish the whole world had one neck so I could squeeze it. He When he was on death row, um, the anti-death row league or whatever was trying to like get him off because they just believed the state didn't have right to kill people. And he wrote them a letter telling him to stop. Because he he wanted to die at that he point, he deserved like, it. <laughs> and he was just like, uh, yeah. If you guys all had one neck, I would, I or I wish you guys had one neck, and I had my hands around it. Like he was, he wrote like his autobiography in prison about like how like he doesn't regret a thing, and he hates everybody, and he's so glad he killed over like men and women. Yeah, he mostly raped men though. He, yeah, he, he would like and he fed killed them to like crocodiles. sailors a lot. Whoa. Yeah, What's he this was guy's extreme. Name? Carl Panzeram. Car- Carl Panzeram. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why do you guys know all this shit? I, I don't remember learning any of <laughs> yeah. this in school. <laughs> they didn't go over any of this shit. <laughs> I was reading other things under my desk in school. Yeah, so, so was I. I was reading Captain Underpants. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked Macabre. Macabre were the death metal band that only sang about serial killers. So that's where all my knowledge comes from all right guys next week we're doing harry potter and the chamber of secrets <laughs> for uh twitch of the death nerve and you know what we're gonna change the title to uh wiggle of the life uh <laughs> the love of the life spark <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that you guys want to cover or touch on i don't think so i i guess my struggle with this movie is always like do I which is you know my struggle for a lot of movies to be fair but especially this one it's like do I recommend this to people or not and I mean I think the thing that it really represents to me is the end of this era when it was possible for mainstream studios and more mainstream directors to even consider putting hardcore or extreme sexuality in their films. And like, yeah, this one kind of nailed the coffin shut pretty much. I mean, not just this movie. It was also this shift towards conservatism that happened with Reagan and Thatcher in the eighties and the, relationship with changing censorship laws to that overall conservative shift but it just I think because Caligula goes so far over the top I think that's why it feels so symbolic of that shift to me and it really is just wild I mean the head chopping machine scene alone is yeah And, and, and even like the final orgy of the movie it's yeah it's 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 crazy and it's (laughs) oh yeah i don't think we mentioned that one of the things he does so this is true in life as it is in the movie but i think to john's point he was just really jaded and things stopped feeling exciting also there's a lot of speculation that he had this illness that did some damage to his brain and made him act like a total psycho and other speculation that once he recovered from his illness, when his sister Drusilla died, those two things kind of broke him. And you see both of those in the movie. But, uh, <laughs> oh, and so 
after his sister dies and he recovers from this like brain fever, he becomes more malicious, like not to regular people, which he sort of is from the beginning, but becomes more malicious to other people in power, like the army and the Senate. And he does crazy shit like turns his palace into a brothel and forces all of the senator's wives to become sex workers in order to like refill his treasury (laughs) it's it's totally insane i mean honestly i could see that model working here in the in the u.s you know oh yes yeah the, the spouses of senators should probably uh engage in some illicit sexual acts with their constituents just so that way everyone's on the same level here you know like they're fucking us i don't know does anyone really want to have sex with mrs mcconnell uh this is not a problem also like to go back to like what makes him crazy i'm pretty sure caligula's well aware that like his time is limited he probably knows the whole Game of Thrones-esque, like, he has a target on his back. Like, anybody wants to wipe him out to get where he is. He watched his, both of his parents die. His his extended family all get kind of, like, offed by other members of their family. That yeah, no, of course. Like, he knew that he had this, like, short window to fucking be a god. And, And that was one of the things that really put him over the edge is that he wasn't just calling himself an emperor he was calling himself a god which is why that joke we made at the beginning of the episode of this being dictator exploitation god but, emperor exploitation yeah this is god emperor exploitation this is on a fucking different level and that definitely was the cause of his death when you start uh becoming a god and and forcing people to worship you who are your like peers yeah, you're you're asking for a knife in the back. I don't know. I think what really drove the point home, so to speak, is once you start fucking with the army and the army is the sole reason you're in power, then that's you've just signed your own death warrant, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of dictator exploitation, I think many political coups around the world have shown that like you got to have the army's support. Yeah. So, John, I want to ask you, what's your take on all this uh, Ukraine stuff going on, huh? Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's bad. You think I'm throwing that fucking curveball at you at the end of the yeah. episode? <laughs> yeah, which would bring us right back to dictator exploitation because Putin certainly is one. Oh, you're against Putin? Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, You guys got any kind of uh, shout-outs or anything? My shout-out, I think, is I've been on a couple Projection Booth episodes recently, and it should be out by the time this goes live, but right now they're doing a month focused on all hardcore movies. So if you want to hear me talk about another deeply anti-erotic depressing hardcore movie i'm on a recent episode on damiano's memories within miss aggie with the great ashley west from rialto report so oh oh cool yeah 
Damn, you've been doing a lot of projection booth episodes. You got to get on uh, the the Mike White payroll, you know, <laughs> or at least He's be a co-host best. at this point. Holy cow! I don't have time to sleep, let alone be the co-host oh of another gosh. show. Mike, what they put out so many episodes it's one a week right one a week sometimes more and he also he was telling me that he has a new podcast that he started that's going to cover every single episode of columbo so i think we have to start (laughs) we have to start watching columbo so that we can listen along oh my god that sounds awesome because that show is great how about you johnny you're still down in texas right yeah yeah nothing nothing much going down here I'm seeing, okay, I'm seeing uh, Jason X (laughs) on Tuesday. And the guy told me because in the early thousands, they changed from uh, actual like film projectors to digital. Yes, to digital, that we are seeing a 35 millimeter print that has never been played before. So I'm going to see Jason X, the most beautiful it's ever been i've never seen it baby (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i i want to shout out our our network cinepunks they got a couple podcasts the cinema smorgasbord they've been doing this ongoing series uh called george kennedy is my co-pilot and george kennedy's great yeah they're doing all (laughs) these george kennedy flicks and their last episode was on 1975's the human factor haven't you guys seen that no me neither. I, I have. It sounds I, familiar. I just saw they put the episode out, and I like bookmarked it, and now I'm gonna. We I'm have gonna... to watch it so that we can listen to the episode. Yeah, totally, totally. That's, that's the struggle with listening to movie podcasts. Is like sometimes I'm in a mood to listen to people talk about a movie I haven't seen, but usually I feel like I have to find time to watch the movie first. Yeah, yeah. I I always prefer to watch the movie first unless it's like a movie that I absolutely don't want to watch and then i'm like so happy that someone's covering it it's like, <laughs> oh great 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 i can hear you guys talk about this and another one uh unsung horrors erica who just put us all up in uh in texas last week they are doing an episode i think it just came out on plankton aka oh my God. creatures from the abyss which is one of our favorites oh we love it <laughs> It's such a great fucking... I cannot wait to listen to that episode. Oh, oh my God. How did I forget? Oh, what? That guy, the director of that and our favorite, The Mummy Theme Park. The greatest. We're doing an episode on it soon. Worked on sets on Caligula. Oh, what? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. It's Honestly, world's combining. Yeah. It's a small it's a small world when you're making fucking crazy freako fucking movies in <laughs> Italy and shit. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to listen to that episode. And I can't wait to watch all of that director's movies. Totally insane. Oh my gosh. The um oh, I forget the something adventure was the one I watched with her and it it was fantastic. It was like his Christmas never-ending story. Oh my God! Movie. It's, oh my God! It's worth wow. it. Save it for December. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. These movies we're saving. We're saving yeah. these for a very special time. <laughs> All right. I think that about does it for us. Bye, John. I'm gonna miss you. When are you coming home? When are you coming home? Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. Wow. <laughs> never. Wow. No, I I, I am. I'll definitely be there. Yo, we miss you. This is this this fucking remote recording shit. 
fuck, fuck. Well, how do, how yeah, do all these podcasts do this shit? This is fucked up. I know. Well, I'll, don't worry. It'll, it'll be, I'll be there before you know. <laughs> Thanks, baby. Just some time <laughs> to talk about Mummy Theme Park. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right. See you later, everybody. Good night. Bye. Do I just hit the stop button?